Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Yordana Osman, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachat Rosh Hashanah, daf Lamed Dalet, page 34. Well, we have two daf left, and tomorrow's daf is actually pretty short. And this daf is actually, it's a pretty heavy and detailed daf. really gets into a lot of nitty-gritty about um, chauffeur blowing. Um, and the first thing that it starts with is a really rather extensive discussion that takes up a large chunk of the DAF, trying to figure out how do they know or what's the source for that a trua, right, um, has to be preceded and then followed by a tekiya, right? That in other words, the order has to be trua, tekiya, trua. And so they go through a whole variety of psukim, which I'm not going to read inside, um, but I really just more want to make a point of you know, mentioning that when we, Ann and I were prepping this, you know, this I think is one of those great examples of, you know, the chicken and egg question with some of the things that we do. Like, was it that they knew how chauffeur was blown and then they're going to Psukim to try to prove that the way that they're blowing it is correct? Or did they somehow actually be like, hey, we need to blow this chauffeur. What order should it look like? Let's look in the Psukim and see if the Psukim line up um, you know, and then they sort of have, you know, they, they learned something from the psukim and then like, okay, this is how you're going to go blow chauffeur. Um, and you can explain what camp that you feel that you're in about this question. <laughs> well, I just, it just seemed to me that some of the wording here uh, on the daf itself, not, not always, not as a matter of principle, every time they bring psukim, but in this particular case, it seemed like they were looking for the psukim to support the order that we all, the, the tekiot that we already knew about. Now, maybe that's not the case, right? I do think it could be argued either way, but it just, that was my intuitive read, I would say, or perhaps not even so intuitive. I can show you in the words what made me think that, but, um, but I, as I say, it could be argued either way. Right. And so, you know, they go through basically almost every pasuk where the word chauffeur takia is mentioned, more like takia or trua. And they learn a variety of halachot. It's not just only about the order, what time of day is it to be blown, um, you know, things like that, you know, things like that. And so I think it's a very interesting passage. But again, to keep in mind as you're reading it, you know, what what is it? Is it that they knew how some of these things were done um, and then wanted to find, you know, an asmachta, find a pasuk to sort of put on it? Or are they really, truly sort of like learning this out uh, for the learning this app for the first time. So I think interesting. Then the Gemara gets into uh, sort of more like, okay, now that they discuss this whole thing about Takiya, true Takiya, now they get into how is this actually done in practice? Atkin Rabbi Avalbi Kesari. So Rabbi Avalbi basically instituted while he was in Kesaria, Takiya Shloshashvar and Takiya Trua, that actually you should blow a Takiya, three Shvarim, a Trua, and a Takiya which is really not what our Mishnah says to do. So this is sort of interesting, right? Um, so my nafshech. So, so basically the Gemara then wants to say, okay, wh- wh- you basically sort of whatever my nafshech is sort of to say, there's a difficulty here, right? If you want to say that this term of Tura refers to the sobbing sound, then it should just be Tekiah, Tura, Tekiah. But if you want to say that the trua is that moaning sound, right? Then you should do a tekiah, three shvarim, and then a tekiah. So in other words, what they're asking is, is based on that Mishnah, 
and the discussion on yesterday's staff about what the trua actually is, right? Is it this sobbing sound or is it a moaning sound? You should just choose which one it is. And that's what's in the middle of the two tekiahs. But the Mishnah and nowhere else do we see that it says that you do both of those to cover both, that you do moaning and you do sobbing in between the two tekiahs. And so that's basically what's bothering the Gemara here about Rabbi Abahu. So basically, Rabbi Abahu says, he goes, look, I wasn't sure what the trua was. I didn't know if it was moaning or I didn't know if it was sobbing. So better for me to do both. So once Rabbi Abahu has his admission of the fact that he was confused, we then get objections, right? And the objection is basically from Rav Avir and from Ravina, right? Who basically say, okay, they both sort of say the opposite of each other, right? But they're basically saying that if you do both the shvarim and the trua, one of them doesn't belong. And then therefore you're sort of interrupting the other one. You're not getting that real sound of the tekia, what the trua is supposed to be tekia. And so what they basically say is pick one and then just follow it was with basically uh, another set. So if you, you know, to either do tekia, trua, tekia, followed by tekia, shvarim, tekia, or do the opposite of tekia, shvarim, tekia, followed by tekia, trua, tekia. But the idea of inserting a shvarim and a trura both in between the two tekiahs doesn't really make sense because you're sort of causing an interruption, right? One of those kolo doesn't belong there. And the one that doesn't belong there sort of breaks up the set of three that that one set um, actually uh, needs actually needs to be. So then the Gemara says, Ella Rabbi Avahu my atkin. So then the, the Gemara basically says, so what was the purpose of this? Why did he do this? Right. If the true is supposed to be the moaning sound, then you should do. Then you fulfill it by doing tekiah from tekiah. If it's supposed to be the sobbing sound, then you fulfill it by doing tekiah true tekiah. In other words, the Gemara is sort of saying, Rabbi Avahu, you got to pick one. You can't say that you're not sure. You sort of have to pick. So the Gemara answers, right. Maybe the true is actually supposed to be both. Maybe it's supposed to be moaning and sobbing. And so therefore the Shvarim Trua is actually the correct combination. And so then the Gemara answers, right? If so, one should do the opposite also. Then you should do Tekia Trua Shlosha Shvarim Utekia. So maybe what you should do then is you do a Tekia Trua, then three Shvarim, and then a Tekia. Maybe the trua is supposed to be, right, sobbing and then moaning. In other words, okay, if you want to say that the trua could be both of those together, could be shvarim and then trua, the question basically is, what order should it be? Should it be shvarim and then trua, or should it be trua and then shvarim? In other words, that's the question. And so then maybe you need to blow two sets, right, with one in one order and one in the other order. But then the Gemara answer says, Generally, when something bad happens to a person, right, and he's going to cry, first he moans, and then he sighs, and then he sobs, then he cries. So in other words, if the trua needs to be moaning and sobbing, the moan, which is the svarim, should always come before the sob, which is the trua. And that's why Rabbi Avahu said specifically it should be tekia svarim trua tekia right? That it's supposed to be moaning and then sobbing because that's how a person tends to cry. So I like this piece of Rabbi Avahu because whereas before the first part of the daf, 
is trying to prove everything with psukim. This part of the dab is really sort of more taking it to a different level and sort of acknowledging that the mitzvah of shofar is supposed to, in a way, enact a particular emotional state. And so therefore, the sounds that we make need to sort of replicate what the typical emotional state is for that. And so here, we're not going to use psukim, but we're going to think about human emotion. So I guess my meta point here is, is that we sort of see both both uh, things happening here. We see the use of psukim to determine order. And then we see with this example of Rabbi Avaku, sort of the what's supposed to be evoked, what emotion we're supposed to feel also impacts what the blowing actually sounds like, and what order should be used. I feel, feel like this is the classic or an example of the classic approach both in halacha and even now it's become a meme, right? The why not both, right? Like, well, we could do it this way or we could do it that way. And we can continue to argue about this way or that way. Or we can say, you know what? Let's include both because both make sense. And and even if you, especially if you say that one follows the other, just in they're both emotions that are felt, but just, you know, sequentially, so to speak, then all the more so it makes sense that they would be there. So the, we joke about it, right? That, Halacha, we're gonna we're gonna cover all our bases and include all the halachic opinions out there, but in this case, I feel like the why not both is very grounded in the in the outcome that is desired, right? As opposed to just you know siding with one side or the other of this of this machloket. Yeah, and I you know right, I think this is a very typical a very typical discussion, as you said. Okay, so I'm going to continue now. I'm heading to the bottom, the very bottom of Ahmed Aleph, really onto the top of Ahmed Bet, where it says the, the Mishnah, going back to the previous Mishnah, right, so you've got one Takiyah, you've got the first Takiyah, rather, and then you extend that second Takiyah to be the length of two Takiyot, right? So then the question is, does that count as, what does that count as? So at the end of this, you know, this is a citation for the mission, but the Gemara's comment on it is as follows. Rabbi Yochanan says that if you heard nine shofar blasts at nine different times of day on the same day of Rosh Hashanah, then you have fulfilled your obligation. Meaning you don't have to hear them in a clump or a cluster as we do Nowadays, you could hear literally, according to him anyway, you could hear them nine spread out over the course of the day. Tanya and Amihachi, the bright, there's a bright that says as follows Shema Tesha Tekiot Batesha Shaot Bayom Yatsa. Fine, it says the same point that if you had nine blasts in one day uh, over nine hours, that would be fine. You would fulfill your obligation. But if you heard each Tekiah, from a different person, meaning a tekiah from this person and a trua from that person and a shvarim from that person, right? So then the um, then the first position here is lo yetsa. Oh, I'm sorry, I said it wrong. Mitesha bnei adam keachad lo yetsa. If you hear from nine different people keachad at one time, right, that it's a simultaneous blast. So you're hearing nine blasts. Your ears are technically hearing all the same nine that you would have heard spread out over the day, but instead they're hearing them exactly at the same time. So for that, the, the Gemara here says that's not that does not work. You did not fulfill your, fulfill your obligation of shofar in that way. You're not hearing what you're hearing. But what if you had tzikiyah from one guy and a trua from a different guy? 
So then the Gemara says, Yatsa, that is sufficient. It doesn't matter that the 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 issue of the nine blasts at the same time is not problematic because you have different people people blowing to make the person yotze. It's because it's all at the same time. So the Gemara continues, Vafilu Baserugin, Vafilu Kolheyom Kulo. So the Gemara says, you know, even if they heard blasts from different people at different intervals, that would still be fine. Even if it took the whole day, that would still be fine. Meaning there's a lot of variety here that would allow a person to fulfill one's obligation. Um, and then the Gemara takes a kind of a left turn. Who said that Rabbi Yochanan said this? Isn't it the same Rabbi Yochanan who said that if you were saying a Hallel or you were reading Megillat Esther and you have like a long pause in the middle of the process, right? Then you would, he's the one who says you have to go back to the very beginning and start again. But the Gemara resolves this and says it's not a difficulty. It's a different, it's not difficult. Why not? Because the position of Hallel and Megillah was really his teacher's opinion. And the position of Shofar is really his own opinion. So we're going to, as we've seen recently, we're going to resolve a dispute by saying it's not really a problem because it really is a dispute. It's not a contradiction in one person's opinion. It's two different people's opinions, and therefore that can stand, meaning halacha allows, even welcomes, machloket, right? Okay, so now I want to jump further down the daf. Um Sorry, um, we're going towards. Well, I guess it's. I can't tell you exactly where it is because everybody's using a different format of the of the Gemara. Um, but basically, we're getting to the bottom line of chauffeur blow of the obligation of chauffeur blowing. Um, okay, so we've gone through all these this different discussion about the blasts themselves, and then the Gemara says, "O mitzvah b'tokin yoter min hamivarchin." So if you have to choose between hearing shofar and reciting the blessings for the shofar, right, what are you supposed to do then? What if you know that there's one place, this is kind of a crazy case, right? Where you have, um, you have a town where you know that they know how to blow the shofar. And you know that the other town has people who know how to recite the blessings. So this sounds like so far out because nowadays not everybody can blow the shofar, but don't we presume that most people could at the very least learn and prepare how to recite the blessings? But it seems to be that this is the case. Literally one town could recite the blessings and the other one could blow the shofar. So the Gemara here says, go to the place where they blow the shofar. And you don't go to the town where they blow the bless, where they recite the blessings. I feel like it's it was so obvious that I needed to read it from the inside of the Gemara because because it's not so obvious. Meaning, this is establishing where where the blessing on the mitzvah is not as important as the mitzvah itself. The Gemara answers though. It says pshita. That's an obvious halacha. Had to orate hadrabanan. Because the mitzvah of blowing shofar is a do'oraita, it's a Torah law. And the any brachot, right, the, the phenomenon of making brachot is a rabbinic law. So to begin with, that should be, as I said, it should be like an obvious choice for the shofar blowing. 
לא צריכה דאף על גב דהבה די והספק. So the Gemara says, no, you really need this case. You need this ruling. Why? Because even though you know that in this town, you are certain to hear the bracha, and in the other town, you might hear the shofar, you should still go to the shofar. Meaning, even if you might think that it's a, a difference between something that is certain versus something that is uncertain, that the blowing of the shofar, maybe it won't happen that way, right? And the answer is still, no, too bad. You go and you get you get as much... Um, proximity to chauffeur blowing as you can in the hope that you will then hear chauffeur blowing. Um, and the Gemara continues, you know, in this same kind of discussion about this, right, we have this mitzvah of chauffeur that takes place for most people anyway, I don't know, most, in the context of the synagogue service. So it feels like it's part of the prayers. So that isn't at the same level of importance as the prayers. And it's not that case at all. So again, this is going back to the Mishnah. Your data, you read this Mishnah the other day where you said that each prayer leader, right, the Shliach Tibor, is obligated in the Tfilot of Rosh Hashanah. And so too, every individual is as well. Tanya, so we have a Brighton that says as follows. I have the Brighton says that they asked Rabban Gamliel, Right, so the shliach tibor is davening on behalf of everybody. So, according to that position, why does the congregation recite a silent tefillah at all? Right, if the whole point is the group one, the congregational prayer. Amar lahem kedei lastir shliach tibor tefilato. He says, really, it's in order so that the shliach tibor, the leader, will be able to prepare his own tefillah and be able to daven with that much more focus. The implication being, no, he doesn't care about the individual's tefillah. It's really only about the shliach tzibur davening on behalf of the entire community. And then, Amar Laham Rabban Gamliel, Rabban Gamliel says to the rabbis, lama Why do we have a shliach tzibur go before the ark to recite the, the Amidah anyway? Meaning, if it's not the case that that's the most important, why do you care that he's going to do that? Amrullah, so they say to him, he has to do that to make sure that somebody who doesn't know what they're doing will still have a tefillah via his um, his authority, right? His his practice will will fulfill the obligation for others. So Rabbi Gamliel says, well, you've proved my point because the same way that he's going to fulfill the obligation for the person who's not an expert, he's also going to fulfill the obligation for the person who is the expert. So on the one hand, we've moved further away from Shofar itself, but we're talking here now about the role of the Shliach Tzibor on this day of such a communal event. And it becomes, you know, uh, the subject of discussion. You know, do we care more about the community in this context or do we care more about the individual? And Rabbi Gamliel is very clear that his focus is particularly on the community in a way that I think we don't usually discuss. Yeah, I, I hear that. And I think it's uh, going to, the parrot's going to end up, well, the Masakat's going to wrap up sort of in a very interesting way because we really were talking about Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Chodesh, and we're going to end on this sort of very communal note about sort of what the relationship is with the person leading prayer, how prayer works. I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's, it's an interesting choice sort of where we're getting to.
<coughs> I think it's also part and parcel of the Rosh Chodesh discussion, right? We talked about this, that Rosh Chodesh kind of, well, setting the calendar and setting the calendar of the holidays is fundamental to the identity of the nation. And the fact that this was, you know, such an important part of, I don't know, of communal life, it makes sense to me that this is a theme running through the Masechet. It's interesting to me that it's where the Masechet ends. I'm not sure that I would have predicted that. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Join us tomorrow when we actually finish Masechet Rosh Hashanah and join us on Sunday uh, for our CM. And until tomorrow, go and learn.